Hey guys, welcome to Terrifying Enlightenment Hello. podcast number two. It's good to be back. So uh, I'm Mark Malumbi, uh, this is Christo. Hello. And this is Sean Rafferty. Hi there. So guys, Sean, you weren't on last week. Introduce yourself there. Uh, I'm Sean. Uh, I, I met Mark a couple of weeks ago. He's in my philosophy of religion class. I'm studying philosophy at UCD and that's it. Okay. <laughs> Christo. Love it. Um, I'm a more freelance philosopher, I would say. I'm not studying in any university. I have a YouTube channel. It's called Christo Sal. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-O space S-A-L. And I'm all about personal development, uh, whether it's by mentally developing yourself through exploring different philosophies or developing yourself physically through, you know, having the right healthy habits. And trying out different things like that. So, well, I'm jealous of your biceps, Christo. I have oh, to yeah. say. You okay. Wow. Well, at least someone is. At there. least someone is. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so last week we had a good chat. Uh, I think we talked about general enlightenment stuff, some of our own personal journeys. So this week I kind of have the idea that we'll put on a few songs that people have heard a million times, but never really kind of paid attention to the lyrics too much. So the first one I'm going to put on is "Crazy" by Nars Barkley. Uh, so just pay attention to the lyrics a little bit more than you normally would and uh, hopefully you'll pick up uh, what I'm putting down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Does that make me crazy? Does that make me crazy? Does that make me crazy? 
<laughs> Go on the Narrows. So, um, I think that a lot of people have heard that song, obviously. Uh, but that song is all about transcendence and possibly even a trip of some shape or form, whether it's through meditation or through some other substances. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, hey, Crystal, what do you think? Yeah, I think we can see a lot of signs there if we look at the lyrics. And when you're out there without care, yeah, I was out of touch. But it wasn't because I didn't know enough. I just knew too much. And like we said last week, I think this represents ego, doesn't it? It's when you're you're stuck in that egotistical mind, you think you know you're you think you know everything. You know, you think you've figured it out until one day you have some experience, be it through the substances or be it through meditation, that kicks you in the arse and says, No, you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I don't know. I, I Again, it's amazing when you when you do go through this with someone else because they see something different. Like that's actually probably spot on. Oh, okay. but I saw it differently. Did you? I saw it was because, um, so I was out there without care and I was out of touch. So it's that state where you're kind of gone, right? And you feel like you know everything, ah. but, but you can't grab hold of it almost. Okay. And you're gone, and you know everything, but you're you're out there you're out, you're out of touch so okay. you, it's almost like you can't bring any of that back but i think your explanation makes a little bit more well, sense i mean it's all perspective isn't it it is sean we're talking absolute shit here <laughs> <laughs> you want you want me to save you um save us uh, tell, tell us where we're being retarded and we're re- we're reading into everything too much is retarded you're reading into everything too much <laughs> it's just a song it's just a song <laughs> ignore the what, lyrics what what is the what is the the relevance of the uh, crazy like who's crazy what's crazy well i think that a lot of people who have psychedelic experiences or awakening experiences come back and i'm studying psychology myself and was in a clinical psychology class and the last week was it was all about uh hallucinations and schizophrenia and uh i was delighted to learn that i'm pretty much delusional and schizophrenic according to their definitions of everything and i think that well you are on you're on drugs. I'm not on drugs right now. <laughs> no, yes. you're not on drugs right now. <laughs> Disclaimer. <laughs> Where, no, but you, you, those are the symptoms of those things. You know, of schizophrenia, course. psychotic symptoms of are course. the symptoms you have when you're on drugs. Yes, or sort of. I think there would be an interpretation of how someone responds to it. So I think that one person can come back from an experience, let's say it is on magic mushrooms, for example, and one person might be really distressed have think that they've gone through some awful experience and be really scared and maybe have delusional thoughts about uh, demons or God and they might be terrified of what they've been through and so they're now a delusional schizophrenic with a mental disorder and problems but you also have the people that come back from that experience and they're fine mm. they're in fact they say Jesus that was the best thing that ever happened to me yes and they go okay when I try and talk to this about someone, they go, ah, you're just crazy. <laughs> you're hallucinating. Yeah. You're delusional, man. Stop reading into all that stuff too much. You know, it's hallucination. None of that was real. Mm. This is real life. That is real. Your mind is just, uh, I think one of the things that you're taught in psychology, which is really interesting, is that when you're hallucinating, your mind will try and make a shape that you see into something that you're familiar with. Mm. So, for example, if, if your mind projects some sort of a, let's say, a square shape, then your mind might turn that into a face because that happens all the time in our life. So if I'm looking in the distance, 
and I see something flying, straight away my mind might just go, oh, it's just a bird. And maybe it is a bird, but then when I look at closer, it's a drone or something else, you know. But my mind initially went, flying bird. Your mind tends to simplify things by identifying things as something familiar to what... Yeah, it fills in what, the gaps. Yeah. I, actually, to bring something up today, I was, I was at a little class earlier, and we were handed these little pieces of paper with a sentence on them. Mm. And the guy that was teaching the class turned around and said, how many Fs are in this sentence, right? So we all looked and, you know, quick as you do, write down the number of Fs on it. I thought there was three. I went out to get a water, come back in. So how many Fs on the piece of paper? I said three. He goes, no, there was six. And so I looked at the piece of paper. I didn't actually take into account the ofs, mm. the ofs in the sentence. Yeah. Because your your brain tends to, as when we're young, we're, we're taught letters in a, like mm-hmm. in a phonetic sounding out mm-hmm. the letters. So when you think of of, you think of V. Mm-hmm. You think of F as that sharp F sound, you know, like fact or scientific, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And so my mind or my brain wasn't taking into account those ofs. Yes. And so again, it's that uh, familiarity uh, thing that you're talking about, where we t- tend to simplify things and just pick what's familiar to us and kind of block out. In essence, we're... we're we're all experiencing our own reality tunnels yes. in some form. I think, I think that's spot on. And I think that's what happens when you present your hallucinations or your experience <clears throat> or your meditative experience to somebody else even. Say you get to somewhere really deep in, in your meditation practice and maybe you see some geometric patterns or something like yeah. that. People will automatically try to, try to rationalize that away which is understandable. You have to be scientific about everything. Of course. O- otherwise, you're just going to go straight into a delusional yeah. belief. And you need to be sceptical of everything to, to really find out what's closest to the truth, mm-hmm. per se. But I think a lot of the time the baby gets thrown out with the bathwater. Mm. And when you come out of these experiences and people try to rationalize it away too much, and they themselves, most of the time, haven't had those experiences, mm-hmm. especially someone who's in the public eye as a respected scientific professional they probably wouldn't take their risk with their career to speak about even if they had taken those substances they wouldn't necessarily speak about them but Mm -hmm. most likely they haven't taken them at all so they're straight away going to rationalize everything and when I was in my psychology class and they were telling me that okay well they're not telling me directly obviously they were speaking to the classroom but they were saying you know you're delusional you are experiencing hallucinations not it's not real it's not subjectively real no one else can see these things you're obviously out of your mind. You're a little bit crazy. And I think that song is, is speaking of maybe I'm crazy, you know, mm. like, but probably, probably I am, but maybe I'm not, you know. And I think that's one of the, the questions about the psychedelic or the meditative experiences. And that's the really interesting thing about it. And if it just happened only with psychedelics, you could kind of maybe you could even push it to the side a little bit more. But someone like Buddhist monks mm. or even anybody who, who goes deep into meditation will talk about these experiences mm-hmm. of transcendence. Mm-hmm. So this, how can you say that something that kind of happens in two different ways is totally false? Yeah, well, I think science can't explain everything and never will be yeah. able to explain everything. Mm-hmm. And I can't explain consciousness, so, and I suspect it won't. And, like, I've had experiences, like, I've meditated for four and a half years, and I've had a few experiences just in the last couple of months. What <laughs> happened? <laughs> yeah, go on. They, they, weren't, they weren't like, you know, ground-shaking things. They were just really short-lived, like, minute-long things. Useful? Mm. Um, yeah, the first one was, what was it? Um, just a profound, now this, doesn't, this isn't going to make any sense to anyone. That's okay. But it's like a profound 
sense of uh, the um, the present moment is how I would describe it. So yeah. it's just like the past and the future just seem so um, unimportant. But it was to say profound doesn't mean anything to anybody. But to have the experience of that was it felt like something, you know, much above a normal experience. So that was quite nice. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, this is cool. And then about a month later, I was meditating in a group that I attend on Monday nights, a meditation group. And um, I was like a really profound stillness, but it was so deep and so pure and it was just lovely and it was blissful. And then there was this unpleasantness arose after that and it was, um, I was getting palpitations and I was sweating and I had all this energy and, oh, sorry, I missed out a bit. Um, the profound stillness sort of gave rise to uh, this urge to just burst out laughing and I had to contain that while I forced myself to contain it, which was quite, you know, it was quite difficult because I was in a, a quiet, you know, was meditating with other people. So that was... You should have done it, mate. You should have yeah, done it. Yeah, I well, thought that as well. I don't know. I think you should have done and it. And maybe that's why the, the, the negative stuff came yeah. up afterwards, but I don't know. I think I looked it up afterwards and it's referred to as Kundalini energy or something. Mm. Apparently this happens. Yeah. And this the the energy that I got afterwards is goes along with it. Mm-hmm. So it would have happened anyway, I think. So but it was quite unpleasant, but it... I just sat with it and started to contain it and it passed and but it was just another really interesting thing and it's like Whoa, what's all this all what's this mm-hmm. all about yeah mm-hmm. you know I didn't really get any deep insight from it but it was just an interesting experience right yeah you were curious about it what does it mean or well it's fast it's like this is outside the normal realms of experience mm-hmm. so what's this all about yeah you know yeah yeah what does it all mean, Basil? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think that when you get to a place where you're in the moment, you're not generally when we think about the past, we tend to focus on something we should have done differently or something that we miss and wish we had that experience at the moment. And when we focus on the future, we tend to hope that we're going to get to a certain place or an achievement or that we imagine some negative situation that we don't necessarily want to have. And if you remain in the present moment, all that kind of falls away. And it's it's very normal. There's nothing magical about it, but yet it's peaceful and it's pleasant. And it can become something maybe a little bit deeper if you if you remain there for a long time. But even if it lasts for a minute, it's still quite a, a beautiful experience to mm. just be okay, you know? I'm I'm here, I'm okay. To see things in a different way mm-hmm. that you're that you're not used to seeing, and to have like it's like a well, non-judgmental. Fairy was gonna say it's a gift, mm-hmm. it's a gift from mm-hmm. God. <laughs> um, you know, just to, to experience to to get out of your usual my usual negative sort of patterns and to experience something that's you know beautiful or whatever is really, you know, it's a nice, different, mm. nice change. Yeah, <laughs> of course, mm-hmm. of course. I mean, uh, if we imagine life as as some sort of shape and we're looking at it at a 2D perspective so the front that maybe has a lot of different faces and basically what happened to you there is you got to see the, another face of the shape and it gave you a different perspective and it feels good because then you, you you've seen more of life you've experienced something new I, I suppose so it's not as mundane as the the face that you were staring at or seeing most mm-hmm. of the time mm. seeing yourself differently you mean Seeing yourself and maybe reality itself differently, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, yeah. than usual, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, yeah. I, to I know that there's more. Yeah, exactly. You know that it's not just me and my my stupid 
annoying mind. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's something else, yeah. and that's that's a nice revelation. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It is, and it I is. think that you hit the nail on the head there with my stupid annoying mind. Like, <laughs> I'm not saying Thanks. That. <laughs> <laughs> well, but but I mean, I think when you're growing up, you you almost try on just different personalities and see what works for you, like. You might be a very different person around your friend to how you are around your parents. Mm. And a very different person around someone you meet for the first time. And you might be very different when you're in church or when you're maybe doing something where you feel a little uncomfortable. And I think a lot of people have the idea that if you aren't consistent with the way you're re- presenting yourself to the world, then you're somewhat fake. Mm. But the truth is, when you're young, you're you're trying to figure out what works. What's going to get me... The result I want, what's going to stop people uh, treating me poorly, uh, what's going to make people like me. And so you start presenting yourself in a way that's really guarded. And I don't want people to see where I'm vulnerable. I want people to see where I'm confident. I want people to think, oh, I like that guy. He, he didn't talk too much. He listened to what <laughs> I was saying. He remembered my name and so on. And you kind of develop this way of being in the world because the way you were when you were a child, really young, is you were your authentic self. But but what happened is everybody said, don't do that. Stop being that way. Don't cry and so on and so forth. So you, you become this very guarded, anxious person where you're trying to figure out what way works best. And I think that when you get to that position where you're not thinking, you almost return to that toddler, very young mm-hmm. stage where you're not trying to present anything, even to yourself. You kind of lose that identity of this is me, which is different to somebody else. And you sit there and you're like, hmm. yeah, I'm kind of OK here, even though I'm not processing things mentally and, and rationally. You know? Yeah, it's a, I like what you said there about the toddler, because I'm just going to share an experience here that happened over this weekend. I had a friend come over visiting from England, very good friend of mine. So on Saturday, now we can put a disclaimer in if you want. Yes, go you for know. it. Disclaimer is absolutely... Uh, you can put in the disclaimer, I, you know. Okay, anything that we say about substances that are currently illegal, again, we need to make it very clear that there's a lot of problems when you're taking drugs or when you're taking substances that aren't regulated because even if it's something as maybe natural, let's say, as magic mushrooms, if you are getting them from somebody that if you didn't grow them yourself or you don't know really much about mushrooms then you're going to get something you're not too sure it is you're trusting somebody else and it may not be what they say or if it is a substance like lsd mdma ecstasy you could get something that someone says is this and it's actually half of something else you might have uh, the potential to become schizophrenic you might have latent schizophrenia you might have psychosis all, all genetic, sorts of yeah. of underlying problems that just haven't been activated yet mm-hmm. so if you take something that's absolutely is what it's saying this it's still not perfectly safe and the problem is it's not regulated it's not sold in the shops like alcohol exactly. not sold to minors mm. regulated checked tested yeah. so anything that you take can end up being a very very bad experience so all of us talking here generally have had to take risks 
and go into something that we don't advise the general public to do. But we're going to talk about our experiences very openly and honestly. uh, But at the same time, we're not condoning or we're not advocating something as everybody should do this. But we're still going to talk about what we've been through. But we are saying that it should be legalized and regulated. And regulated, yes. And used medicinally. Okay, anyway. um, (laughs) So... Yeah, so essentially, it was Saturday, I dis- this guy went through a divorce recently. Mm-hmm. So, he needed that uh, sort of restart mm-hmm. in his in his mind and seeing a different perspective, okay? Like you would through meditation, through the Kundalini energy, but where you experienced, let's say, one minute or, how brief was it? I'd say like a minute or two. Right, yeah. so let's say that, but, you know, last longer, right? So we decided to take a small, a sm- relatively small dose because I decided to give it to my sister for the of. first time. Magic mushrooms. Yep. So relatively small dose and I decided to give it to my sister. And we went for a walk in nature. So we went for a walk and we were watching the swans, the ducks and the ponds. And obviously we started to feel effects. And once we started feeling the effects, everything obviously became more vibrant, more colorful, more full of life, more animated almost like a cartoon, I, I suppose. And we kind of return to that toddler brain or that, that child mindset whereby everything is is wonderful and everything you're curious about everything, you want to look at everything, you want to explore, you know? Like when you're a kid. So we're walking through the, the, the park and we had some moments where we just... It was almost like this moment was created for us because there was like a beam of sunlight coming down and then we'd just sit on a bench and it just, we'd catch this amazing moment. We caught, we caught this one amazing moment where a swan flew in. Man, <laughs> this swan flew in and landed on the water like an aeroplane. <laughs> and, and Yeah, and like glided across the water mm. and I was like, man, that was meant to happen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so anyway, right, so we were standing there, right? But then at one point, I, I, you know, we were just admiring the beauty and I, I turned to my to my friend and I said to him do you know what you know it's important to remember to look or you might miss it because this is a reminder that this is here all the time this is always here and we're always so bogged down in all these things that really don't matter I mean in some sense they do but we we tend to add too much of a psychological layer and we get lost so this was a nice reminder to return to simplicity and just enjoy what you have. Minimalism, you know, we, we wake up every day, we get to breathe. You know, that's wonderful. We get we get to look at the birds flying. We get, you know, maybe I'm being a little bit too positive, but I, I think that's what we, we're, we're, you know, feeling. So it was my sister's first experience. Now, she didn't say much during the trip. And, and when we came back, she was she went to her, her bedroom and then I went in and I was like, so she's like, she was speechless. She was like, I don't hate life anymore. <laughs> she said, I don't hate life anymore. And she said, she said, and you know, I'm I'm so thankful for dad. She said, she yeah. says I feel like I wasn't appreciative enough of dad before. She didn't. She wasn't appreciated because my dad is tend to be quite a disciplined, strict guy, but he does it for a reason. Love you know? comes out of you in crying. You almost cry with love. love yeah, how much you care about people. Right. Mm-hmm. And it and yeah, it was just beautiful to see that from my sister. And I and then I started telling her like, now you understand why you don't need to talk back to people. There's, you don't need to waste your time doing that. Why? Let them. Mm-hmm. Let everything be. C'est la vie. Que sera, sera. We're here. That's what matters, you know? So my friend, he had an amazing trip as well. And he, he was really thankful and saying, you know, he really needed that. And he went home 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he sent me a picture of a house covered in vines, right? And, and the vines were red, you know, quite uh, reminiscent of, of autumn. And uh, he goes, you know, I've walked past this house for the past two or three years and I never appreciated it as much as I'm appreciating it now. <laughs> and that was amazing, you know? And so anyway, the reason I wanted to share that because I think it was beautiful, but also it was representative of what you were saying, how we were just so present. We were just so thankful to be alive you know the simplicity of 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 the experience of you of don't being feel human. the need to be anywhere else you're right i remember the first time um i i well not the first time but it was one of the times i was introducing a psychedelics on a very low dose to my girlfriend and we were sitting in a car staring at a shop front in Durrow in county leash and there was nothing spectacular whatsoever and we were like we there was no desire to be anywhere else to be doing anything else we were so content sitting there in the car and i think sadhguru s-a-d-h-g-u-r-u um i don't know how much bullshit he speaks and how much absolutely amazing insight he has i haven't made up my mind about him just yet <laughs> right but but one of the things he said which was really interesting is that we classify things in three ways important not important and then the the one the one that's the biggest problem is that we completely ignore so for example a tree the amount of trees that we walk past during the day or a plant or whatever we don't pay any attention to it we know it's not a danger we know it's not going to give us any pleasure we know it's not going to benefit us or take anything away from us so we completely ignore it it's almost like tree keep moving mm. and then when you're on psychedelics all of a sudden you look at that tree <laughs> and you're like, why am I ignoring that? Yeah. Why am I ignoring that tree? You it's so beautiful. Trees? Sorry? You ignore trees? <laughs> yeah. And plants and flowers, you know what I mean? Oh, you're suddenly looking at a flower like an <laughs> idiot going, wow. Like, wow, this is, this is life. Yeah. You know? Anyway, this 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 episode <laughs> is becoming far more hippie-ish than last week. But it's I good. Know. I've hugged a tree. Okay, uh, I've, uh, <laughs> and I wasn't I wasn't on drugs. Wow. Yeah, me too. Me too. It's really nice. I tend you to like do it. I tend to like trees anyway. Actually, okay, let's talk science. Let's get out a bit. Of, let's get out of the hippie mind, right? Okay. Scientifically, it's been proven that uh, trees uh, cause a, a, hor- a positive hormone release within our bodies. They do. They have this thing in Japan called tree bathing, where because a lot of people were killing themselves in Japan. Mm. Yeah, so uh, on their breaks now at work, they tell people to go off and spend time around trees because it's really good for your, your yeah. biology. I, mm-hmm. I find trees really fascinating. I've always been fascinated with trees. I like mm-hmm. climbed yeah. trees when I was young. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Still climb trees yeah, me too. occasionally. Um, yeah. But there's something just about them that just to look at a tree, just yeah. something really, I'm not going to say spiritual. There, but, mm. Well, I was just going to say <laughs> in almost every spiritual culture, they have the tree of life. Yeah, and it's 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 almost universal from cultures that that apparently have never met each other, and it's because it's as above so below. So you've got this this mm-hmm. entity that's in the air. It's in the earth, and then it's under the earth, and it's it's representing those three levels. It's the higher, the the middle ground that we all exist in, and then the the subconscious or the the, mm-hmm. the under right. that we the that roots. we ignore. Yeah. So <clears throat> I think in the terms of spirituality if you want to look at the symbology of it trees are are extremely important yeah I, there's a great book that it was handed to me by someone i can't remember who wrote it it's called the gospel of the living tree gospel of the 
The Gospel of the Living Tree. Okay. Um, it's one of those books for me. I don't know how you guys would perceive it, but one of those books that just lifts you up. I would read it and I would just be so grateful. That had a lot of power. That book. Hmm. What does it? What is it about? It? It's it, it's about trees. So it it basically <laughs> it's about trees. <laughs> that's it. That's all you, no, s- that's about, all you need to say. <laughs> yeah. No, it's about trees. It goes into each type of tree and what it was thought of in the ancient times and what it was used for whether let's say it's a hazelnut tree and they they could eat the nuts and it would go into different different aspects of it both philosophically spiritually uh, quote unquote Mm -hmm. or and scientifically as well so it goes into like all three of those and there's a lot of poetry in it as well i love the book because i'm 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 quite a poetic dude and i love poetry so Mm -hmm. there's quite a lot of poetry as well as prose Mm -hmm. And I just like the way the structure... It, you flow through that book really well. And it just gives you a lot of insights. I think you'd love it, guys, honestly. Okay. I really do. I, look into I, think I, would, I would read it. Yeah. <laughs> I think if you love trees... Because I, I used to climb trees, too, when I was a kid. Absolutely loved it. I've climbed some tall trees, man, when I was like six years old. I love trees. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting too... <laughs> Sorry, man, I'm getting too reminiscent now of right. the times I used to try, climb trees. Oh, the time when I was a monkey. Okay. <laughs> um, All right, we'll put, will we put on the next song, guys? Sure. Yeah, yeah, let's do All it. All right, so the next song is by a guy from Northern Ireland. Uh, it's Foy Vance, and the song is called Be The Song. So I personally think the message of this song is that when you get deep enough into a meditative state... Um, the self-referential ideas go away. So instead of actually thinking of yourself as somebody or an entity or a person or an I or a me that's listening to the song, you actually become the song. So the song is called Be The Song. And I'm going to put that on right now. Thank you. 
That's one of my favorite songs. 
I have never heard that before and I am in love. I think that is really nice. I think Sean's asleep. <laughs> <laughs> As usual. Um, no, it's, it's quite beautiful. I've never heard it before. It's quite nice. The, the thing that I noticed the most about that song is the lyrics. Um, I'll take the weight, but I won't speak. I will refrain and be the song. And I think that's a very meditative. Um, it's pointing to the meditative experience in that the more you try to speak in your own mind or think about um, what's going on, uh, the more you get in your own way. And if you relax, breathe deeply and just be the song rather than trying to comment on the song or get lost in your thoughts, you you do get that beautiful, present, peaceful moment. And that's why I, I love that song. Yeah, it's beautiful. I <laughs> don't know what else to say. I think that's brilliant. Um, but I think this line as well. When inner scars show on your face and darkness hides your sense of place, that really touches on on the shadow, you know, mm-hmm. uh, how we hide it and we don't embrace it like we were talking about last week. Mm-hmm. Man, this song, i sorry, I'm just blown away by that song. Cause <laughs> I, I feel like I was tripping while I was listening to it. Yeah, I'd, say that, I'd, I'd say there's probably a lot of uh, a lot of things you could say about the lyrics. They're, they do seem really meditative, like uh, you could get a lot of meaning out of that that wouldn't be apparent maybe you might have to sit and really actually like study this maybe mm-hmm. yeah, but i like the point. like i like the just be the song something mm-hmm. about that that uh, i don't know like just be yeah. you know, sort of thing yeah. <laughs> yeah. and there's something about music which is which is quite uh, i don't know my brother told me a really good story about one of his best friends david was his best friend's name and he said that uh, he was out with with David one night and David was watching everybody in this nightclub dancing. And he said that, uh, you know, Ted, when I see everybody dancing to music, I don't see people moving to the music. I see music moving the people. Mm. And uh, Ted was like, that's why I love my friend David. He's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that that stuck with me. I just thought that was actually quite accurate, to be honest. I don't know if you've ever heard a song that resonates with you when you're by yourself in particular, when you're not self-conscious, you just start moving. Yeah. Yeah. And it's almost like you didn't decide to start moving. It's just the music is moving you. What what Mm. percentage of our bodies are fluid or made of water? Do you know? No idea. Something about 70. 70%? Something like that. Okay. So the majority of our body is a fluid, Mm -hmm. right? And when you, when you play uh, sound waves or music or something on, on water, what happens? It ripples, vibrations create movement. Mm -hmm. And so you could say that's an element of why we move Mm. because we're literally, our our insides are vibrating, they're (laughs) moving, they have to move, you know. For anyone who hasn't seen that, just look up uh, sand vibrations to music or to to, um, frequencies. And so what they do is they have a a plain board and they pour uh, some sand on the board and then they send a specific frequency through that board and the sound so this the frequency creates uh the, the sand moves to create a shape yep. to that frequency yeah, I've seen that. and then they change the frequency to something higher or lower and the shape changes again and it actually gets more complex <coughs> and changes and changes so it's it's this it's actually showing you that sounds have a, a shape yeah and it's very strange to think that way mm-hmm. because we generally 
I think this is something that can happen in psychedelic experiences. It hasn't happened for me at all, but I've heard things like I'm tasting sounds. Or yeah. I'm, I'm smelling shapes and strange things like yeah, that yeah. that what's, I haven't experienced what's personally. What's that called? Synesthesia. Synesthesia, yeah. Nikola <laughs> Tesla. This, this is why Sean is on the show, <laughs> bringing out the synesthesia. The big words. Yeah. That's yeah. it. <laughs> Nikola Tesla had that. Oh, really? Yeah. Nikola Tesla had synesthesia, naturally. Oh. Some say that he almost had this psychedelic mind. That's why he could see every invention. He had a very visual mind, oh, but okay. he wasn't quite street smart he made a lot of mistakes in, in business and stuff like that and um, so he was he was very child like they said even though he had this great mind you know he was mm. he was very much intuitive uh, with his mind it was great I love it sorry I love Nikola Tesla yeah, Mo- Monet is someone very interesting as well sorry to interrupt you <laughs> Sean no, you're fine. Um, Monet could see infrared light and that's why his ah. paintings are so famous because when he's paying, painting his gardens Monet's gardens he could actually I don't know if he had a problem and he, I think he got an operation and then after the operation he it, it messed up his vision where he could see ultraviolet which apparently is oh. quite irritating and difficult but his paintings then included all of the ultraviolet purple shapes um, which, which, which makes his gardens uh, sorry his paintings very 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 beautiful cool mm-hmm. yeah no I was just going to say I draw a parallel between we were saying about um, you know drug experiences meditation experiences can sort of bring you into a different place that is different from the ordinary and I think music does that as well it does sort of for me music is sort of something that sort of kept me going throughout my life yeah sort of, you know uh, low points and stuff and it sort of like brings you to another place um, I agree like the you know the, the moving is one thing and like I like to sing Along to my favorite songs. Yeah, and, you know, me too. <laughs> no, <laughs> me too. So I think music is quite. You know, it's got some. It's got some sort of power. For sure, it's it appeals to the part of your brain that is open to uh, spiritual experiences. That it, I think is the right side that's more open to that because your your left side is more logic and scientific, let's say. But I agree. I think things like meditation, like the trips as well, psychedelics as well as music, or going to exercise. You know, you can get to these states of just being present. Runner's high. Sorry? Runner's high. Yeah, mm. runner's high, whatever. And same with me, if I, if I sometimes I just, I'm feeling down, I just play the guitar. I sing. Just sing your heart out, even if, even if you're terrible. Like Terrence you know? McKenna. Did he play guitar? No, but he said that um, the easiest way to get through a bad experience uh, trip-wise, is to sing. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So you yeah. say, if something is going really wrong, start singing. Yeah, that's why they do the drumming as well. Mm. It? Yeah, it's that res- mm. it's that resonation, um, and that's part of the whole thing. I think. Have you ever heard of uh, laughing uh, meditation? No, yeah, yeah. it's it's terrible. Isn't <laughs> it sounds I look, awful. It it, 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 it was. <laughs> it, it, you really need the right crowd. Um, I did it in. I, I used to train kids in a um, juvenile detention center in Australia called oh. Cobham Juvenile Justice Center. And these were hardcore criminals that have murdered and so on and so forth and drug gangs. And and this lady came in who was very hippie. And so she got everyone to lie down in a circle on on mats in a basketball court. And we all had to just laugh and and just continue to laugh. And... (laughs) For Even if it was forced laugh, because it was so silly, everyone else would start laughing. And while it was, in one sense, horrible... It did work. Like it it didn't make you meditative, but just laughing for the sake of laughing and hearing other people with this silly laugh, not really laughing, then made you laugh because it's so ridiculous and silly. And then you got good feelings from laughing. It it resonates with something within you that even if you're not in a good mood, if something makes you laugh, it 
creates the good mood, you know. And the same with music, it, it creates that feeling within you, it resonates with you. Well, could it could it be if we're talking on a now I, I, I could be talking shit here now, but uh, if we're talking on like a neuroscience level, could it be that it's th- that side of the brain, the childish brain, the intuitive, the creative mind that loves art, that loves music, that is also active when you're laughing, that's active when you are on psychedelics, that's active, becomes active when you meditate. This is this is where we're lacking, I think, Crystal. Both of both you and I is that we we love the the secondhand information and theories that that come with all of this space, but the science behind it all speculation for me anyway. Yeah. If you know, fantastic. I haven't a clue with when it comes. No, to we'd have to look into it. I, I'll actually make that a goal this <coughs> week. I'll look into that. I wanted to actually put a challenge to you, and obviously, feel free to not do this, um, Sean. Feel free to to engage or not, <laughs> okay. but. You're into fasting? Mm-hmm. Let's do a week. A this week? Show this week? This, until next week. Until the next show. Oh, my God. No. <laughs> no. That sounds, that sounds bad. It sounds how, how, bad, but people how, don't know enough about fasting. But Just how, look up online. Christo, like, how long do you typically go? No, I like do, I, I've done intermittent fasting. The most I've done, I think, was about uh, two days. Not water, but you're training quite a lot too. Though. And you're I train, so that's what I'm thinking. I don't mm. know if I'd be able to do a week because I'm training okay. at the moment. Maybe in the future, okay. like sometime when I feel like I've trained enough and I can take a week off, mm-hmm. I'll do it. Okay, I will do it at one point, just just for the experience. Cool. But yeah, no, not this week. Fair <laughs> enough. But because if we want to make it a bit more scientific, one thing that I do know is that drumming and music is very good for the brain because it uh, opens up different pathways inside of the brain. So. People that learn more instruments, they tend to be able to learn more languages, mm. easier than others. And drumming itself, uh, drumming is, is actually quite good for the brain. I'm not sure why, but it, there's a great show called The Brain by David Eagleman. He's a really good neuroscientist, really great program. So anyone that's listening, watch that program. And he actually explained the power of drumming and instruments for the brain. And then when you combine that with the like of psychedelics, when people get into drum circles, it actually makes sense while you're having these insights. Your brain is kind of in tune. There's more pathways open. There's more serotonin flowing through your brain. And uh, and obviously there's there's some studies coming out now showing that mushrooms in small doses actually, you know, they cause something called neurogenesis. Yeah, yeah. So that's the regeneration of damaged uh, brain cells. Well, I uh, or I th- I'm not sure if it's regeneration of damaged brain cells, but just the regeneration of the brain by the birth of uh, fresh brain cells. This is this is all being done by the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelics Studies. Maps.org. Maps.org. Where are they based? They're American, I think. Major- they're Hopkins, international. John Hopkins yeah. University groundbreaking studies on uh, psychedelics uh, in therapy. Um, they've tested uh, uh, psilocybin. Uh, mushrooms for people with ne- close to death with cancer terminal cancer and they've basically had people have made peace with the fact that they're dying and it's showed fantastic results they've used mdma to treat ptsd because other substances um can make people relive uh the experience that has given them the ptsd and that's not what you want but if you give them an MD- mdma from their studies are showing pretty good results that um show a big correlation between ptsd overcoming that experience with mdma because you can approach the experience with a positive mindset rather than going back into it and and reliving it which is not what you want 
and then lots of other substances in like ibogaine or ibogaine or I'm not sure, 100% sure how to pronounce that yeah. uh, for drug addictions. Um, so if you, let's say someone is addicted to heroin, an ibogaine uh, experience can make them or has shown a lot of results to... I think it's get over that and not ninety percent. Yeah, it's it's very high. Ninety percent of heroin addicts that try uh, ibogaine treatment and ibogaine is a psychedelic, a very powerful one. It's always a bad trip. It's a, like a purge. You're you're constantly getting sick. Ninety percent of heroin addicts that use that therapy never touch heroin again, or they don't go back. They their addiction. And, and why is that? What is it? I think it? the mechanism. Now I'm not going to give you a scientific mechanism here. I'm just going <laughs> to give you oh, a, no, a, no. a theoretical. I think it's they have such a terrible experience that it m- gives them the appreciation for life when they come back because they have a second chance. It's li- it simulates death in a way. It simulates sickness, you know, a, a terrible sickness and death. So so they have a near-death experience. Oh, yeah, basically, yeah. And it'd be interesting to know, like, what they actually say, you know. Yeah, that's... W- the, uh, how yeah. it's affected them, like, what it is specifically. Yeah, I'm sure there's videos online. Uh, are you looking up the videos? I'm just looking up uh, Ibogaine maps and okay. I'm see what they say. Yeah. So uh, continue chatting away while I... Yeah, yeah, that. so it's very interesting. I, I actually would be open to trying it one day just because I'm very curious to try try I like to experience things so I can write about try it try anything once yeah exactly <laughs> exactly yeah uh, but um, yeah I've heard it's a very frightening experience it lasts three days like between what? yeah it's like one between one to three days the trip lasts of of thinking you might be dying of thinking you are dying oh. yeah and getting sick <laughs> constantly and getting to a point where you're vomiting so much that it hurts I wonder is it that they think, you know, they've gone through the process of dying and then they've got, now, now that they've realised, well, that wasn't real, but I had the, pro- I felt it yeah. and now I've got a second chance at life. What exactly. am I going to do with my life? Exactly. Am I going to take more heroin or am I going to change? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then just bring something up here. I had a near-death experience when I was 19 years old. I was wow. living in Cyprus. I was a young alcoholic. Now, you wouldn't say I was an alcoholic living here because everyone seems to be... <laughs> uh, but <laughs> but, but, um, but I drank a lot and my, my father owned a bar. So I was drinking quite a lot and um, I would say I was a very insecure individual, quite lost. I had a big fear of death. I've always been quite philosophical anyway. It's always been my nature since I was a kid. So I always ask these questions. So the poignant question of like, you know, what happens when you die always used to really get me. And so I was, you know, insecure and questioning and confused and stuff like that. And drinking a lot and going to a lot of parties and then, you know, getting involved with the wrong people. And one night I, you know, pissed someone off. And I, uh, and this is going to sound stupid again, you know, I was the, always the designated drink driver. Because I, t- I, <laughs> I know. In, let me explain. So in Cyprus, the, the, the police force over there are not as strict as they are here. And uh, and I was I was like, you know, based on the previous times where I, d- I drove, everything was fine. So, uh, you know, and you're st- young and you're stupid. So anyway, I went over to my car and I was waiting for my friends to come over. And the next thing I know, I was uh, attacked. Right. Now, I was, a- I was attacked with someone with a bat in the middle. Of- I didn't see him. I don't know who he- what he looked like. I don't even know who he is to this day. So... Obviously, when you've been drinking, your cardiac output is increased, your heart rate is increased. So the amount of blood that you're losing, especially when you get a gash, because I had a gash here just right next to my temple, and my nose was broken multiple places, and so I was bleeding a lot. 
my friends came back apparently they were hysterical they were saying well, what have you done and everything and, and one of them had to think fast and, and drive my car and they've never driven my car and you can imagine they were all drunk as well if we called the ambulance there wouldn't have been enough time were losing, you losing a lot of blood I was losing a lot of blood yeah. just to um, just to warn you just in case you don't get your story finished we've got about two and a half minutes or so So really that's yeah. it okay yeah. so to speed it up basically they put me in the back of the car I was wearing a grey blazer it turned maroon my whole car the back seat turned maroon it was grey as well so um, what happened is to speed this up while I was in the back of the car I had this experience where I wasn't in my body or it could have been a hallucination whatever mm-hmm. but I had some sort of mystical experience where I was surrounded by light and vibration and warmth and it felt like home and it was that m- at that point where it was almost like an instant download of information where I didn't feel like I needed to fear death anymore mm. and when I came back basically I got, I got to the hospital I was fine you know they, they stitched me up and everything I was fine but after that I gave up drinking I changed my life I started training I moved to Ireland uh, I got my life together I started learning learning and learning and expanding my mind and and I am who I am today because of that experience. And I'm just trying to compare that to the simulation of, of near death that mm. these people that use Abogain um, would get. So that changed my life. So I think there's something in those near death experiences. Oh. Yeah. Sorry, I had to speed I that up. But no, it's, it's I, um, really interesting. Yeah. I heard uh, somebody, again, I'm terrible with my actual references, but I think it was Adyashanti, again, from our um, podcast last week. And he said, if you really think you want to die, try and hold your breath and and not breathe again. And what you'll find is that you don't want to die. It's your ego you want to kill. Yeah. And you don't mm. have to kill well. yourself. You don't have to jump off of it. You don't like yourself or your idea of yourself. So there's no need to actually commit suicide. What's wrong is your ideas. Mm-hmm. So get rid of your ideas. Die that death. Die the ego death. Mm-hmm. And you don't need to to do anything so drastic exactly. as to hurt yourself. Exactly. Um, I'm going to sign off with a song called Two Van International, which uh, unfortunately is a socialist song. Okay. Now, I'm not a socialist, okay. but I, I I can feel the power in this song. It's um, sang, sang by people, I think from Mongolia or that region. Oh, I love Mongolia. I love that. And uh, they, they can tro- throat, yeah, throat I love sing. Yeah, I love throat singing. And... Oh the passion in the song is that, you know, they've been oppressed. They're the workers yeah. and they, they, they're talking about the workers unite and overthrow the, their oppressors. Now, okay. again, I'm not a socialist. I don't believe in those ideologies, but the song is very powerful and I'm going to sign off with that. So thanks a lot, guys. And it's been amazing. We'll do another one next week. Yeah, sure.
Here we go. 